0: Welcome to Cancer Docs Talk, a podcast series where oncologists discuss the latest cancer news produced by Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Our host is Dr. Gilberto Lopes, Associate Director of Global Oncology at Sylvester and a renowned medical oncologist specializing in lung cancer. Welcome to Cancer Docs Talk. This is your host, Dr. Gilberto Lopes, and all of our community at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center is very happy to have you with us today. We have a special guest with us in the house. This is Dr. Peter Hussein, and this is a special month for the disease that he diseases that he and I treat. So, Peter, welcome. Thank you. And um, let's uh, start working. Uh, Peter is a specialist in pancreatic cancer. So this month of November, we're going to ask him to talk to us about uh, what strides we have been making in the disease and what we can expect for in the future. And, of course, I'll ask him to start telling us how we treat pancreatic cancer in general.
1: Okay, so let me start from the top. Pancreatic cancer, as many of the listeners would know, is one of the deadliest malignancies, and it is associated with um, very low survival rates. And this is something that we are trying to make an impact on. So we had the dubious distinction of surpassing breast cancer as a, sec- as a third leading cause of cancer death in the U.S. this year, and it's projected to surpass um, colon cancer in 2020 um, to become the second leading cause of cancer death in the U.S. So the incidence of pancreas cancers on the rise in Western countries We don't know exactly why that is, but we believe it's related to lifestyle factors, sedentary lifestyle, poor diet, obesity, um, probably cigarette smoking as well. And um, the mortality hasn't really changed much in the last 40 years. However, um, we've been seeing changes and advances in clinical trials, and eventually within a few years that makes it into... Clinical practice, and we hope to see some improvements in survival over the next few years. So, as you mentioned, this month is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, and we have a lot of activities ongoing here in the community. And, um, you know, we are pa- partnering with the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, which is the biggest advocacy group in the country for pancreatic cancer. They support a lot of research and they have a lot of patient support um, resources as well. And they have um, events ongoing during this month to raise awareness for pancreatic cancer. So one of their main drives is to m- improve um, detection at an earlier rate. And we don't have an early detection test, as you know. But they are encouraging people to focus on non-specific symptoms like what people refer to as indigestion. Um, what is key is um, if you develop diabetes in later life, that sometimes is a, a red flag to say that maybe something is wrong in the, with the pancreas. And if, if, we, if we know that if you screen patients with new-onset diabetes, um, type 2 diabetes, sometimes you can pick up pancreas tumors. So we think that is a high-risk population. And also patients who have first-degree relatives, especially if you have two first-degree relatives with pancreatic breast, ovarian cancer, there are some screening programs available now across the country. And in some of those programs, for example, at the Mayo Clinic and Hopkins, they have seen survival rates in excess of 80% at five years for patients who have screen-detected cancers in those programs. So those are the high-risk patients, just like in lung cancer, you would screen smokers or former current smokers. In pancreas cancer, the closest thing we have is a strong family history. And if we screen those patients, we pick up a higher rate of pancreas cancers than in the general population, and we can probably make an impact on their survival.
0: So this is a very important message, to remember that patients that have vague abdominal symptoms, have lost weight, have pain in the epigastrium or the back, and especially patients that have new-onset diabetes or whose diabetes is getting worse without a specific explanation, and especially patients with a strong family history, these are patients that we should consider um, being seen so that they can be not necessarily screen, but they can have early detection of their tumors. And what age is the age that you would consider imaging techniques for patients that have family members with pancreatic cancer?
1: So it depends on the risk. If you have somebody with a confirmed BRCA mutation um, in the family, we start screening at the age of 40 because we've seen some of those patients. I have patients who are in their 30s, with PALB2, for example, who have developed pancreas cancer. But the BRCA-related ones are usually in their 50s or 60s. So screening at the age of 40 is probably still a little bit young, but that's what we are doing. Um, And so in in those with a very strong family history, some of the screening protocols use MRI scans to begin with. And if you detect something, then we go on to endoscopic ultrasound. Um, There's no blood biomarker, as you know, um, but we are working on that. Now we have a program where we're collecting blood specimens and newly diagnosed pancreas cancer patients. And this is a part of a consortium that we're in that we are trying to um, figure out early detection biomarkers. And maybe in a few years, um, we'll we'll have something that is ready for application in the population.
0: And a common question we get is, how often would you do imaging studies for patients that are on these um, surveillance programs?
1: So there's no standard at this time. But most people believe every two to three years is probably adequate. If you're going to do an MRI scan, the advantage of MRI scan is that there's no radiation exposure. But there's some disadvantages if the patient is claustrophobic, or oh, um, you know it's costly if the insurance company doesn't pay for it. So, um, and then you know, but there's also a risk of screening, as you know, with. Um, the psychological effects sometimes false positive findings so um it's a balance that you know we're still trying to work out right now
0: absolutely and what are some of the strides that we have made in the treatment of pancreatic cancer in the last 5 to 10 years so one of
1: the biggest improvements that we have seen in patients with advanced disease is that the chemotherapy now is more effective than we had before so 10 years ago, we had one drug which was effective, which was gemcitabine, and now we have the Fulfurinox combination, which is a very toxic combination but also can be effective in some patients. And um, probably the, the biggest news, which didn't get a lot of press really in, in our last annual meeting, was the study from France that looked at post operative treatment with Fulfurinox for six months and they showed an an average survival of in excess of 50, 50 months. So actually close to six years of a median survival in a disease where the median survival was in the range of two years or less with the previous chemotherapy regimen. So this, these are patients who are potentially curable, patients who've had surgery, but have a very high risk of recurrence. And if we apply this chemotherapy, we can cure some of those patients at a much higher rate than we were able to before. So that is by far the biggest advance that has been made in pancreas cancer in the last 10 years. Uh, we make an impact in patients with metastatic disease, but not as much as you would in patients who have surgical resected disease.
0: Without a doubt, this is a major improvement, especially if we look at the data that we used to have. Historically, even patients that have resected pancreatic cancer, you could expect about 10% five-year survival rates if they had node positive disease and 30% or so if they had no negative. And as you mentioned, the study uh, from France with Fofirinox in the adjuvant setting, you get pretty much a 50% five-year survival, which is impressive. Right. And that is something that we had definitely not seen in any series of pancreatic cancer, even in centers with large volume, which brings me to uh, one of the important parts about how we practice in our cancer center, which is the use of multidisciplinary teams. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of of having a team that is comprised of different physicians, uh, surgeons, medical oncologists, radiations, and all of the allied um, health workers as well?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we, we rely heavily on each other. So many times when we have patients coming in for the first visit, they are scheduled um, simultaneously with the oncologist and the, and the surgeon. And I have um, personally joined clinics with two of our um, most um, Experienced surgical oncologists in pancreas surgeries. And, um, you know, the surgery part of it comes in more for patients with localized disease. So maybe up to 50% of patients would have localized disease in various stages. So some of them we call resectable if there's no clear um, involvement of any of the blood vessels close to the pancreas. Or if there is involvement, that could be borderline resectable or unresectable. But those are the group, that's a group of patients who don't have metastatic disease. And for all of those patients, we usually try to get the surgeons involved early. And we have a joint plan. And most times that includes chemotherapy first and then re-evaluation for surgery or other types of local therapy, such as radiation therapy. And we also have some innovative techniques that we're studying, such as the nano knife. So um, we also, in addition to having the initial consultation with our surgeons and our medical oncologists, we have um, an excellent backup team of support services, including the social workers, dietitians. There's a very high rate of depression, um, so I, I really rely on the social workers and the, the psychology and psychiatry support services for these patients. Um, nutrition support is very important for them as well, and we have some really outstanding um, dietitians here who have a lot of expertise in pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy. So um, there's, a, there's a team effort. So, you know, most of the times myself and the surgeon are the face of the franchise, but we have a, lot, a large team in the, in the background really helping us. And I didn't mention the gastroenterologists as well, but they also help a lot with endosc- endoscopic diagnosis and, and also interventions such as stenting. And then, you know, apart from the, the consultation that happens directly with the patient, we also have a, a second layer which is our tumor board system, and we also have a, a dedicated pancreas meeting, which is every two weeks where we discuss complicated cases where we need multidisciplinary input, and that um, we we discuss a lot a lot of patients with pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, even benign diseases of the pancreas like cystic neoplasms. So we have a a very vibrant pancreas group, and um, you know that another layer even above that is a research enterprise, which is um referred to as the Sylvester Pancreatic Cancer Research Institute. So this was um, inaugurated about two years ago based on a very generous donation from a family of a patient who died from pancreatic cancer here at our center. And um, we've been able to recruit ex- ex- extraordinary talent who, um, to do laboratory research. And, and the, the gratifying part for me is that we've been able to bring some of the studies that they have developed in the lab to the patients at the bedside, and we're in the process of doing this. So that is the ultimate and um, bench-to-bedside translation, which we are trying to um, implement here in, in our
0: practice. Peter, before you actually discuss some of the efforts that we have in-house, um, can you discuss a little bit why it has been so hard to find targeted agents that may be effective in pancreatic cancer and um, why it has been so hard to actually target RAS, for instance?
1: So th- there is no... Um main driver mutation that you can identify. So it's not like breast cancer where you have the subtypes and you you have basically five different diseases within breast cancer and lung cancer now where you can say, okay, we have um, EGFR-driven cancers or ALK driven cancers. We don't have the same thing in pancreas cancer. We know that 90% of them have RAS mutations, and we know the common mutations are P53 as well, CDK, and 2A. Um, SMAD4, these these are mutations which are not necessarily driver mutations that we have a drug that can shut down. So uh, in terms of targeted therapy, there is a targeted therapy approved, which is a nib but it does not really work in unselected I can't patients. can't remember ever prescribing it. That makes two of us. So um, it, there's a statistical improvement in survival, but clinically there's not a, a meaningful benefit, and we haven't found a subgroup of patients that we can define up front that would benefit from that, as, as, as they do in lung cancer. So it's been very challenging finding a targeted therapy, and people are now looking at a, a more... Sort of comprehensive approach rather than a single gene or single molecular targeted approach. So, um, the, the treatments which have been the most successful are the ones which are really non specific, like chemotherapy. Um, but that hasn't slowed us down in trying to find um, targeted treatments. And um, we are right now actually now learning that probably the first subgroup of pancreas cancer that we can define with a different treatment. patients who have BRCA mutations because those patients respond better to the chemotherapy with a platinum agent included. And then they may also be candidates for a POP inhibitor, which there are studies ongoing right now, and we are participating in some of those studies, and we've seen really outstanding responses, so I would be very surprised if a POP inhibitor is not approved within the next 12 months for, for this subgroup of pancreas patients. So this might be the first time where we can define a subgroup of patients where we would treat differently in pancreas cancer.
0: That would be very exciting news indeed. Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, being part of the of the POP inhibitor pivotal trial, there's a data cutoff in January, so that means that they're aiming for the ASCO deadline. So maybe in ASCO 2019, we'll have a, um, data on that trial. It's called a POLO trial.
0: Fantastic. And what are other efforts and other trials and promising avenues that we're exploring in Sylvester? So we have studies that run the entire
1: gamut from resectable patients, borderline resectable patients, locally advanced, unresectable, and metastatic. So starting from the top, we are participating in national studies for resectable patients where we're looking at preoperative therapy, and it looks like there are many Theoretical advantages for giving preoperative therapy, even if the tumor looks resectable. And um, those studies are now maturing. Uh, in Borderline Resectable as well, we are one of a few sites are, um, participating in the Alliance clinical trial, which is looking at or without, without stereotactic radiation. And then um, in Unresectable, we have a consortium of about five centers looking at uh, a novel MRI-guided radiation technique. And that, that study is um, a study that we participated in designing and it is about to be open and then in the metastatic population in the frontline setting we are uh, we, there are many um, pharmaceutical companies that we are partnering with to test um, new drugs there is a, a drug which is a cancer stem cell inhibitor that we are testing in the frontline setting and then in the refractory disease setting we are developing some um, uh, at least one trial in um, comp in Partnership with the lab on campus and with with, um, the Sylvester Pancreat Cancer Research Institute looking at a novel immunotherapy combination uh, for advanced pancreas cancer patients which looked very, very promising in the animal experiments. And we actually have used this treatment off-label in a few patients and seen some good responses. So we are very excited to be able to open that study hopefully in the first quarter of 2018, sorry, 2019. Um, And then... You know, I w- we hope that um, Sylvester will achieve the NCI core grant next year and we'll be able to participate in some of the um, ECT and early, early clinical trials network studies. And um, I get access to some CTEP um, drugs as well that we may be able to, to test in, in, in advanced disease. We're so, all
0: looking forward to that, and yeah. hopefully this will be achieved by next year. Yeah. Um, We can't talk about cancer today and not mention immunotherapy. Right. So do we have a subgroup of patients or any promising um, drugs in the immunotherapy realm that we are seeing in pancreatic cancer?
1: So only 1% of pancreas cancer patients are MSI high. So I have one patient in my practice who is MSI high, and she's responding beautifully to the dual checkpoint inhibitor on a clinical trial. So um, we're very fortunate to be one of about 20 sites in the U.S. that has the ASCO TAPER trial. And that trial is a basket study that has a number of cohorts. And one of the cohorts is for MSI high, where we have the dual checkpoint inhibitor with a PD-1 inhibitor and a CTLA-4 inhibitor. And that my first MSI high pancreatic cancer patient already has a partial response after three doses of therapy and has done beautifully clinically. Also, um. We have um, the subgroup, which I mentioned before, which is the BRCA-mutated subgroup, and also PALB2 is in the same category. Those patients tend to have an intermediate tumor mutation burden, and uh, we believe that that might be a marker for immunotherapy response. So we now have three patients with BRCA mutations in the same study getting the dual checkpoint inhibitor, and uh, we can say already that one of them has had a complete response. Uh, one of them did not respond, but the other one is it looks like he is responding as well. And and um, so there may be a signal there. It's still very early. But we know that um, PD-1 inhibition as a monotherapy is, is not an effective in unselected patients. But the, the patients who we know will respond are the MSI high patients. So, um, so far, that is the only subgroup now. There's a very, very intense um, line of investigation ongoing right now targeting macrophages and other parts of the immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment, and there are a number of drugs and testing right now um, that are looking at um, various checkpoints, which are not the traditional PD-1 and CTLA-4, and we believe that some of them may be be relevant in pancreas cancer, but it's still early, early days yet.
0: Excellent. Is there anything else um, that you'd like to talk to us about? And, of course, um, having a patient in a clinical trial, having a complete response for pancreatic cancer that's unresectable, that is almost unheard of. Of course, if we have been doing this for a while, you do see one patient every decade or so. But that does seem very promising, and we hope that that does move forward and that we can increase the number of patients that actually benefit from these types of interventions But before we finish, is there anything else that you'd like to mention about pancreatic cancer or ways that our listeners, physicians, and patients can help? So
1: um, one of the messages that is coming out now, and it has been incorporated in the ASCO and the NCCN guidelines, is that all patients with a new diagnosis of pancreas cancer should be um, referred for genetic testing. And we are now doing that routinely. And we're talking about germline genetic testing, which is in not the tumor mutation profile, but the patient's mutation analysis for a multi-gene cancer panel. And even patients who don't have a positive family history, there's still about a three to five percent rate of picking up something, and that can make a big difference. For example, we have published um, a, a single case where we picked up coincidentally a case of a RAD51C germline mutation, which is associated with pancreatic cancer. I'm sorry. It has been associated in the past with ovarian cancer, and it's the same uh, Fanconi anemia pathway with BRCA. That um, that patient had an excellent response to platinum-based chemotherapy and is now on a pop and is doing very, very well. So that is one example, and there have been other examples published. So we, we are now routinely recommending genetic testing if it's available. And, you know, this is not available in many centers, but now, you know, you can argue about the, the commercial direct-to-consumer tests which are on the market. But in some patients, when insurance isn't covered, we still recommend doing something, which those tests are not perfect, but it's better than nothing. So that can open up some treatment avenues. And then it's also controversial whether you should do somatic mutation profiling in all the patients. I, I do it if we can get access to sufficient tissue and if the patient can afford or if the insurance company will approve it and it it can make a difference really for clinical trial elig- eligibility and um in some patients you can get off label therapies as well and you know this is such a difficult disease with limited treatment options you you have to look for every single avenue that you could put potentially pursue for for treatment options so that is a now become a routine part of my practice and um you know i know in in many resource limited settings it's very difficult to get that kind of um testing, but if, if it's possible, you know, I think that can that can help in some patients.
0: It is a brave new world, and we do hope to be starting to make a dent in pancreatic cancer as well. So thank you, Peter, for being here with us, and thank you to the listeners for being with uh, Cancer Dogs Talk. This is uh, the month of November, so we will soon be back to talk about lung cancer as well. And for now, thank you very much, and see you soon. Thank you. You have been listening to Cancer Docs Talk with Dr. Gilberto Lopes, Associate Director of Global Oncology at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. We hope you'll join us next time for an update on the latest cancer news.